Hello, welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? Uh, moving, Amy. I'm moving. Moving in. Moving in. Moving. Uh, yeah, moving downtown. We are. Amy. That's right. Big announcement this week. I think everyone yes. probably expected that our top story would be the big move. I, I, I thought it would be the VBS thing from Lifeway, though. But I guess you don't like children. You you just want to do this. I love children. I instead. think the VBS and I think the VBS thing is awesome, and we will get to that in a minute. But it does seem that the chatter is focused on huge announcement about the annual meeting. So wanna well let's yeah. let's hear about our sponsor and then jump right in. Yeah, so we're going to talk about them later in the show, too, because we have trustee updates from three seminaries this week, including Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, who sponsors the podcast each and every week here at SBC This Week. And that's where you can get the theological training and the hands-on experience you need to thrive in ministry. Wherever and however God is calling you to serve the local church and fulfill the Great Commission, Southwestern offers a degree plan to equip you. Whether you're pursuing a bachelor, master's, or doctoral degree, Southwestern Seminary is here to walk alongside you as you live your calling. You can find out more at swbts.edu. And we will be seeing our friends from Southwestern in downtown Nashville at the Music City Center this summer instead of the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center. Right. So for those of you who have been watching our Road to Nashville series where uh, Jonathan and I have been hanging outside the hotel, showing you all the amazing things, waterfalls everywhere. Well, those episodes We're taking a did detour. Not, they, yeah. Those episodes did not age well. So the Road to Nashville is under construction and is you're <laughs> being forced to take a detour to downtown. You will be rerouting. So, at least it's still and, Nashville, uh, Amy. At least it's yes. still Nashville. Nobody has to change their flights. Uh, all of that is the same, but it will look a little bit different. And downtown is awesome. So this is going to oh, be uh, a, a lot of fun, but no waterfalls. So very, very well, sad. Unless, about that. unless somebody does a cannonball at the top of the Weston. So, yes. I mean, the river is right down the street. That's so you true. Can go there is the check river. out the river, well, but don't just, swim in just it. Just so you know, folks, the, the, the Weston has an infinity edge pool at the top like at the top of it and you can see it from street level like 20 floors up so yeah i mean that would be the only waterfall that you might be able to to make happen but everything else pretty much standard yes but downtown is really really awesome for those of you who maybe haven't been since the last time there was an annual meeting in nashville boy you're going to be surprised so it's uh yeah 2005 nashville and 2021 nashville Night and day. Totally, totally different. Um, of course, really different from the downtown Nashville that I knew. Jonathan and I have that all the time. One, one day he sent me, um, one day you sent me pictures. It was like a comparison between yeah. the Nashville of 2010, right before you moved, you know, a couple years before you moved there, and the, you know, 2020. And I, so I turned around and sent you Nashville 1975 and said, imagine how different it is from what I what I first saw. Um, so it's pretty amazing how it has developed over the years and particularly the last 10. And it's going to be a great place for people yes. to hang out. So the Music City Center, just uh, we'll go through some FAQs here. Uh, there's a, a bunch of information over at the annual meeting site. So sbcannualmeeting.net 
is the website for that one. And if you go over there, there's an FAQ linked on the front page of that. There's also some information about the Music City Center uh, that you can look at as well. So the uh, the Music City Center, there's pictures and everything. So just a little bit about the Music City Center. The Music City Center, the the convention space at the Music City Center is 1.2 million square feet. It was 700,000 at the Opryland Convention Center. And, and the move was really necessitated due to the need to provide a safe and effective and efficient meeting space for messengers and attendees. So right. we just did not have the space to do what we needed to do, how we needed to do it at the Gaylord Opryland uh, Resort and Convention Center because of social distancing of and, and yeah. everything related to COVID-19. So right. we, we have to be able to space out a little bit more. Now, we would have been packed in like a normal year. We would have been absolutely jam-packed into the areas that we had over at the Gaylord. It still would have worked. It would have been a great experience. Right. We'd have had a great time. But because of the, the the requirements that the city is placing on us, they helped us to facilitate this move down to the Music City Center to provide the needed space so we could stay in Nashville. Because the other option was to leave Nashville, which would have been an even bigger problem. Right. So let's think about this, uh, especially when you think about sort of the initial planning in 2016, when it was decided to have the 2021 annual meeting in Nashville, um, going on, there were three things that I think uh, were kind of interesting pieces. One, going on the trajectory of sort of where our attendance was at the time, plus the fact that this meeting was not supposed to be in a typical presidential election year. Remember that? Which, like, which bumps up attendance usually. Right, which bumps up attendance. So when you're planning years ahead and you are projecting what a meeting looks like. So the attendance is higher than my, um, or, or I would expect it to be. I'll say it that way. What we would think is going to happen is, is, a, is an attendance that's higher than what 2016 might have projected. And then you have COVID protocols. So as you said, we would have been jam-packed in there without but then with the covid protocols it's you know just just untenable need, basically right you just need the conducive space and so the music city center which initially would not have even been available because first of all in 2016 it was very new cuz i think there'd been something that was in it but it was it was very new and the CMA festival was scheduled to be there, which yeah. is now not happening. So just a lot of things, a lot of moving parts in place that allowed for this transition to happen. And we can stay in Nashville and still have our meeting. So uh, one of the questions I know a lot of people are thinking, well, I had a hotel booked at Opryland. So talk to us about hotels, Amy. First of all, if you have a hotel room that is booked at Opryland, you still have that. If you, if you want it, your hotel room stays the same, the reservation that you have. But there is going to be an option because now that it's moving downtown, we are also going to have options for hotel rooms downtown. And so the, uh, the executive committee staff, the, the ones that really handle the meeting, that's not me and Jonathan, but the, the parts of our team that deal with annual meeting management, they're working on that right now on securing as many hotel rooms downtown as we can possibly get. And so the tw on the 26th, the hotel portal will open back up for you to be able to change your room if you would like to. Now, if you want to keep it, that's fine. 
Uh, but if you want to change it, then you can access one of those hotels that are downtown. One reason that it's, we need to wait, you know, a week and a half or so is because a lot of those transitions need to get put in place so we have as many rooms as possible for you to, to access. So you'll be able to go either way. Um, you can, if you, if your family's going to be out at Opryland, you want to stay out there and then you want to figure out a way to, to get downtown, drive downtown or, uh, shuttle, Uber, whatever. Absolutely you can. Um, but we're also, we're also going to provide that opportunity for you to move downtown. So, uh, you mentioned the hotels downtown. That I think was also another consideration of why the 2021 annual meeting was not booked downtown. It was originally booked for Gaylord Opryland. There are ample hotels out there, ample hotel rooms that were already available and already built. A lot of the hotels that we've seen over the last five years since that was passed in 2016 have been built. They didn't exist. In the yeah, past they didn't five exist years. They didn't then. exist. The Omni, the JW Marriott, the Weston, the Cambria, the right. Drury Inn and Plaza, the AC, the Joseph, all of those are located adjacent like right That's next right. to the Just music didn't city have the hotel they didn't rooms. exist. Yeah. Right. Yes, and there's and built, there's do. more that are being built. NBC Suites is being built right across the street from it right now. Uh, right. There's also uh, a W Hotel, I think, somewhere over there that direction being built. So there's a lot of places being built now still that are going to be available for future hotel goers. So it's possible we could wind up back in Nashville in a decade or so. You never know where we That's might right. wind up. This allows for a lot of hotel rooms. I don't know. There's thousands and thousands of hotel rooms now that did not exist whenever the that's right. convention was awarded. So that's right. Uh, those are being secured and there are plenty of hotels. And if you book through the convention service, like Amy said, April 26th, 8 a.m. Central, you'll be able to go in there. And if you elect to change your hotel room over to a one downtown. That's right. Now, a uh, couple of other things in terms of logistics. One, which is in the FAQ, I think it's Im- important to have in there, is uh, parking. Answer a quick question about, about parking. Yes. Where, where that is. 1,500 parking spots available at the Music City Center. First Baptist Church Nashville is also located adjacent to uh, the facility, and they have parking lots that I think they're going to be running. They lease those out, so uh, they're going to work on uh, downtown parking for those. There's plenty of parking spots in the downtown area. Uh, there's a couple of parking apps that we may talk about whenever we when we get to our convention preview episode that we may mention uh, that I've used. I know whenever I come down to park for Preds games or Titans games or things like that, you can reserve parking spots through your phone. And usually you can get a lot cheaper than if like you show up down here to try to park. That's right. So you can get a, I, I park usually for five to ten dollars where if you show up and try to park for an event. You're looking at twenty to thirty dollars for parking for that event, so uh, that works out a lot better. The five hundred five building is one that a lot of people use. Uh, it's on Fifth Avenue, uh, just a couple of blocks from the Music City Center. Uh, another thing, uh, I know a lot of people wondering about childcare and the exhibit hall and ancillary events. All of those, uh, with the exception of maybe a couple of ancillary events, it just depends on what the event organizers choose. But we're doing as much as we can downtown. So childcare is moving downtown. The exhibit hall will be at the Music City Center. Uh, so will Chai Carrier to be at the Music City Center as well. So everything that we can physically move downtown has been moved. Now it's up to the individual event planners if they want to keep their uh, original space at Opryland or if they want to move to another space downtown or a, in a, a facility adjacent. So you've got, like we said, the Omni, the JW Marriott, the Weston, the Hilton all have conference center space that is available to use as well as spaces within the Music City Center complex. So 
a lot of space for ancillary events, for the exhibit hall, all that being worked through right now. And the, the individual events will probably uh, let you know where they're going to be once they, you know, find that out. A lot of that's being, like we said, worked through right now with our staff and those individual event planners. That's right. All right. So that's what we have. If you've got more questions, you know, shoot them in to us. We'll do our best to, to answer them. Some answers are going to be coming in the days ahead as details get worked out. Yes. And I, I did put something in uh, on Facebook and had a few other questions from folks. And uh, I, I think we've done a, our best I could to, to answer all those. Uh, one of the questions was COVID protocols. What are COVID protocols right now in downtown Nashville and in Nashville city limits? It's the same. Actually, the, the COVID protocols would have been the same here as they were at Gaylord, but we have more space to be able to, to meet those protocols. So, uh, you know, we're still doing a little bit of distancing. There are still caps on size and capacities right now in indoor venues. But like we talked about how big it is, 700,000 square feet versus 1.2 million. It also has to do with ceiling height. The ceilings at the Gaylord Opryland are between 14 and 18. We're looking at 35 to, to 40 feet ceilings at the Music City Center. So a much taller room, a much bigger room. The cubic feet in the arena area that we'll be in is a lot larger than what we would have been in out at Opryland. So that that's a big thing. But they're also, right now, we are still under a citywide in Davidson County a citywide mask mandate in indoor spaces when it's not possible to socially distance or when you're not eating or drinking. So, you know, if you're sitting in a crowd in a room, you're expected to keep masks on. Whenever I go to a Preds game at Bridgestone Arena, even though I'm distanced from folks, I still am required to keep my mask on unless I'm eating or drinking while I'm at my seat. So um, that's just the case here in town. I don't know if, if that'll be changed, but if it is, we will be notifying people of the changes to any or any changes to mask mandates as they are right now. That's right. All right. So that's the annual meeting change news, Amy. We have some more annual meeting news this week, including one. I uh, just want to highlight it real quick. The resolution submission portal opened this week. Uh, that opens April 15th, closes end of May. So uh, if you have a resolution that you want to submit, that's available to be done right now. You go over to sbc.net slash resolutions. You'll see the links for that. Uh, their reminder on that one, you have to submit your resolution in writing, uh, or, you know, typewritten, obviously. Typewritten, yeah. Uh, but also, yeah, we don't, we don't want handwritten, because actually I think it has to be typewritten. Uh, That's so correct. it has to be, they have to be able to read it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to make sure that, you know, we get your no resolution. No confusion. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no confusion. And then on also writing. there is a form to fill out that says, I think we even talked about this on last week's podcast, that says you are eligible to be a messenger from a legitimate Southern Baptist church. So, that's right. That, now, that's if required. you so both of those forms are required when right. you turn in your resolution. If if you are already pre-registered, you can actually submit that, and you don't yes, have to fill out the form. the The issue is you don't have to be present at the annual meeting in order to submit a resolution. You you just have to be eligible to be a messenger, and so the credentials form allows that to be certified and shown that you are a member of a church in good standing and that they are qualified to send messengers. So you can send that or your pre-registration. Yeah. All right. One other piece of annual meeting news. The Committee on Committees was announced this week. President J.D. Greer appoints 68 members to the Committee on Committees, two from each territory that we have that it makes up state conventions. So uh, those are listed, the full list. We're not going to go through the full list because that would take a while. And yes. Amy would stumble over a lot of names, and so would I. 
But yeah, anyway. absolutely. Uh, but but Amy, do tell us uh, Meredith Cook is going to chair the committee on committees this year, and it's the most diverse slate we've ever seen. That's right. So Meredith Cook, good friend of the pod, actually, uh, there in Houston, Texas. She's a member of Neartown Church. She will be the chair of the committee on committees. She was announced last year um, already and uh, moved forward. Uh, then Stephen Wade, who is actually pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville, North yeah. Carolina. That's like more than good friend of the pod. That's pastor of the pod or half of it. Okay. Yes. It It is my pastor. So I'm, yeah. So congratulations to, to Stephen Wade for being named vice chair of the committee on committees, but uh, they, they will be working together. And then, like you said, it is the most diverse slate of committee members ever appointed by an SBC president. It includes 39 women, 29 men is majority non-white. Um, so 14 members are African-American, 12 are Asian, nine are Hispanic. And some committee members come from churches that average nearly 700 in weekly worship, while 40 members attend churches averaging fewer than 250. The average giving is 6% through the cooperative program. So that's kind of the average of the slate. Uh, and and, one and just thing for to point- comparison, that 6%, people are like, well, how does that stack up against the rest of the SBC? The yeah. average church gives about 45 to 4.8%. Right. So these are and- high CP giving churches. Right. And one thing that's important is uh, to remember is that when we release this, that actually is information that we've, that Baptist Press has been sharing for about 10 years now, because in 2011, that's right. In 2011, the executive committee, uh, when they were released, they did a report on sort of increasing ethnic diversity and they asked that that be announced every time the committee on committees is appointed as an opportunity really to encourage the appointment of uh, diverse candidates as we seek to make our boards and our entities and our uh, just our whole system look a lot more like our churches. So yes. anyway, that's that's information that we share every time. And I think it just shows the picture of what this committee looks like. Yes. All right. Also, at the bottom of that release, there was an addition to the Committee on Resolution. So that committee has already been named, but Angela Um, who was named to it and was going to serve as the vice chairman, uh, is now unable to serve. So President Greer appointed Adron Robinson to fill that space uh, created left open by Angela Um not being able to serve. Now, Adron fulfills one of the bylaw requirements from Bylaw 20 that says that two of the members, at least, have to have served on the previous Resolutions right. Committee. Which is what Angela, Adron, you know. Yeah. Angela served in 2019 and so did Adron. So Adron and Jared Wellman are the two that will be serving this year that served on it last time in 2019. Right. Adron's also an executive committee member and good friend of the pod. And, uh, in, in Um's departure, Nathan Finn, who's been appointed to the committee, will serve as the vice chairman of the committee That's on right. resolutions. So a little, little housekeeping note there. Uh, from President Greer and everything going on with that. So I think that's all of our annual meeting news for this episode. It's been a few, a slow few weeks in the annual, in the, uh, the annual meeting sense of things. Uh, and then we just dump it all. Yeah. Boom. Here you go. So moving over to Lifeway. We talked about Lifeway earlier on. There's uh, VBS news and some camp news. They're gearing up for summer camps this year. Remember they had all their summer camps last year were canceled due to the pandemic, but they are geared up with some COVID precautions and protocols, including implementing health screening questionnaires for all attending groups, emphasizing increased attention to cleaning at the facilities, adjusting activities to allow for social distancing, and following a detailed response plan 
should there be exposure. You can find out more over at the individual sites for Centrikid Fuge Student Life and Student Life for Kids uh, to be able to, you know, if your church is doing that, you want to know what those individual COVID protocols are because some of them may change from state to state, camp to camp. So if you're going right. to a centrifuge at Ridgecrest, it may be different than maybe a uh, Centrikid at Campbellsville University in Kentucky or something like that. Or if you're at Fuge at Union University versus Ridgecrest, it may be different just based on the state. So do check those out. And, uh, and, and know what exactly your COVID protocols. I'm sure that they've already actually been in touch with those who have been uh, signed up for that. But if you're a parent or you've got, you know, a group going, do be sure to see those, uh, that, uh, those protocols that Lifeway has announced. And also some VBS information, uh, some options for destination dig for those who are uh, doing Lifeway VBS this year. Yeah, this is really great. Uh, so Lifeway always works really hard to resource churches for VBS. And so they have identified four different formats, the traditional approach, um, neighborhood approach, which is kind of like backyard Bible clubs, you know, gatherings that are held in neighborhoods, um, alternate timetables or formats, doing it on uh, weekends, one day VBS, things like that, or virtual at home. And so what they've done is they have uh, provided resources for each one of those strategies. And then that way a church can pull off VBS in whatever format they want. So really great pivot there by Lifeway. I, I love it serving churches in, uh, in that way. So you can visit vbs.lifeway.com slash yes to VBS. So we'll have the link, uh, we'll have the link available with the story in the show notes. Yeah. This is very similar. If you remember from last year, Melita Thomas joined us on one of our weekly uh, COVID-19 kind of webcast that we were doing at Baptist Press. And Melita and I talked about VBS and how churches could best do that during the pandemic. They basically taken that and after having the feedback for a year, modified that a little bit, improved it. And now they have those four again this year, four options for destination dig. Some trustee meeting, Amy. We start in your backyard over in Wake Forest. Southeastern approved a budget and uh, added a couple of new faculty members over at the seminary. Yes. So it was a big one, an exciting one, because it was the first time back in person. Uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, very, very special. A little, little smaller than, than normal, but just kind of with the trustees. So it was great to see people. Um, approved the budget to include a 2.36% increase from the previous year and then had a couple of uh, sort of elections and faculty promotions. So the trustees unanimously elected Karen Swallow Pryor and Julia Higgins to the faculty. So uh, Karen Swallow Pryor is research professor of friends of the pod yes friends of the pod yes as a matter of fact uh charlie the dog of joya higgins was at my house all weekend also went out in the rv everything the, uh, faculty yes charlie Char charlie's amazing uh so dog so show is keith running over there that's right so he's he's a, a good friend of the pod as well uh but but uh, Karen Swallow Pryor was uh, elected as research professor of English and Christianity and culture. And then Julia Higgins is assistant professor of ministry to women. And so that was, they were already on the faculty on a contract basis, but now they uh, were both elected, which is, is always a really exciting thing. Um, they also approved some uh, curriculum revisions, things like that, and then promoted several faculty members. So that was really exciting as well. So, um, so just some, some good stuff, really good 
to be back together. One thing I want to just note that is very special, they voted on uh, some construction on campus for a pavilion between the library and Staley Hall to provide a covered outdoor seating area, and it's going to be dedicated to Ty Williams. So he's the son of our facilities director here, Travis Williams, and um, passed away in a really tragic uh, tragic situation back before Thanksgiving. And so it's really, really tough time around here, um, but a great way that our trustees honored him. So I just wanted to kind of mention that in in passing because that's a, a special thing uh, to our hearts. So that that's was really great, cool. great Really move. cool for them to be doing that. So awesome. All right. Up to Kansas City, where I can find my favorite barbecue, as well as Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and the worst airport in America. But that has nothing to do with Midwestern. But they also had a trustee meeting this past week. Some incredible news out of Kansas City and Midwestern. Uh, they passed a budget of $29.8 million for next year. And that represents a $4.6 million increase in this past year's budget. Uh, so just incredible growth going on up at Midwestern. And their headcount is up 11.6% from this time last year. So year over year headcount up. 11.6%. Number of hours taken up 16.1%. God has done some incredible things in the Southern Baptist Convention and the growth at Midwestern over the past five to 10 years has been one of them. Just an incredible job by Jason Allen and the entire crew up there at Midwestern. Uh, they're also implementing a flat tuition fee, so not increasing tuition or fees this next year, and also are moving to pay off the seminary's remaining indebtedness of $2.8 million. So they will be debt-free, highest budget ever, and largest enrollment ever next year. Incredible news from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Very cool. Absolutely, Amy. And they also had some uh, faculty additions. You mentioned the faculty additions at Southeastern. Over at Midwestern faculty additions are uh, Alan Branch, re-elected as Professor of Christian Ethics, Andreas Kostenberger as Research Professor in New Testament Biblical Theology, Michael McMullen as Professor of Church History, Rustin Umstadt as Associate Professor of Theology and Ministry, also promoted Daniel Chong from Assistant Professor to Associate Professor of Counseling in Korean Studies, Blake Hearson from Associate Professor to Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew, and Matthew Millsap from Assistant Professor to Associate Professor of Christian Studies. Matthew Millsap, friend of the pod, also uh, a marathoner. Ran the Chicago Marathon a couple of years ago. Impressive. Chicago, that's, that's Julie really impressive. It. I, th- I think that's your Julie ran it, and Matthew Millsap also ran it. So Very impressive. Jonathan and Amy, not marathoners. Nope. Just to be clear. I, if I'm, anybody I'm, was at home yeah. wondering, not marathoners. I, you okay. know what? I think a few years ago when they did the Global Hunger Run and I did the like, sleep-in option. I think we made our case option, for that. I think yeah, everybody we did the knew. sleep-in option. No, no one yeah. expected me to run a marathon. George Schroeder, Baptist Press. Absolutely. Potential marathoner. Yes. Jonathan and Amy, that's why cars are made. All right. No way. To Southwestern Amy. Yes. All right. So uh, President Adam Greenway told the Board of Trustees for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary that God is doing a fresh and marvelous work on Seminary Hill. So he had a lot of great announcements, announced that they their plan to resume full and normal on-campus operations in the fall. And then they also got Really encouraging updates about enrollment. They did some some housekeeping thing, approved changes to bylaws and degree programs, promoted faculty. Uh, they approved um, they approved their twenty. 20- 
2021-2022 budget with an 11.5% increase over the current year's budget. Wow. So they, yeah, so they see really returning to a, a great position of health and strength. Um, updated on some of the legal issues, which we've been covering mm-hmm. here on the pod and, and in Baptist Press, but gave them a sort of a, a, a a major update and then announced six new faculty members. So Todd Bates uh, teaching is a professor of philosophy and associate dean of Scarborough College. Ian Buntain, associate professor of missions in the Fish School and director of the World Mission Center. Mark McClellan is now professor of missions in the Fish School and director of Hispanic programs. Blake McKinney, assistant professor of history in Scarborough College. Joshua Philpot, assistant professor of biblical studies in Scarborough College. And Justin Wainscott, assistant professor of Christian ministry in Scarborough College and director of discipleship and campus ministries. So lots of things, like I said, also some sabbaticals, degree programs, other things. One of the overarching patterns I love in all three of these is what we're seeing is a year ago. Remember the trustee meetings a year ago was a lot of uncertainty because of COVID-19. And one of the great things is in each one of these reports we've shared, you and I have said a lot of just the normal things, you know, curriculum revisions, sabbaticals, things. What we're seeing is these schools kind of getting back to business as usual. So that's great. Great, great news. A lot of encouragement. A couple of more things on the faculty, Amy. They uh, Some promotions, some faculty promotions. Karen Kenner to professor of children's ministry. Jeremiah Kim to associate professor. Nathan Berggraf to associate professor. Ben Caston to professor. And Matt Queen, friend of the pod, to professor of evangelism. Chair of fire. Yes. Amy, the chair of fire. Yes. Also, I, I, I've always heard it, you know, the Roy Fish School of Evangelism and Missions. And in the pod, in the release here, they, they call it the Fish School. And I just got a kick out of that because school, fish, fish school. So, yeah. Not Sorry. nicely done. I didn't Apologies think about that. Apologies to my friends in, in Fort Worth for that, but I got a kick out of that anyway. I, I don't know if that I was done intentionally or not, but I laughed. All right. One other thing, 83% increase this fall in the number of graduate applications, 83% year over year graduate application increase and 103% increase in undergraduate applications. 103%. That's pretty incredible. Scarborough College. That's amazing. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, back to normal. And also all three of our seminaries that we reported on this week, booming. They are growing. Great things happening on our seminary campuses all over the SBC. A couple of final heartwarming stories and notes from around the convention, Amy, this week. Long Hollow, uh, we've been talking about it in Baptist Press, uh, Long Hollow Baptist Church up in Hendersonville. They have baptized a thousand people since December. Crossed over the line. Yeah. It's a prayer movement that's going on up there. Robbie Gallaty has been talking about, you need to check this out. A thousand baptisms at one church since December, Amy. A thousand that's, that's insane. That's incredible. We've been watching this. We knew that it was coming, but it's amazing to see them them cross the line. And of course, we both have a lot of folks that we know, friends, uh, even coworkers who are at Long Hollow. And it's it, it's amazing what is happening. All right. Last one. What a just delightful story from Hilldale Baptist Church here in Clarksville, Tennessee. Pastor Larry Robertson had Macy Parker coming up to her. Macy Six, y'all. And brought her Annie Armstrong gift. And she had a little change holder. And she had raised $54 for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. That's right. They made little, it's little coin holders that they made out of toilet paper rolls. 
And mm-hmm. so in their class, they were, they were encouraging the kids to perform acts of service to raise funds. And then every time for them to tell people that the money was for missionaries. And so she started doing chores around the house and for other family members. And then was telling her friends about Annie Armstrong, uh, was just doing all of these things to raise money for missions. And so, uh, six years old, that's just a really, really beautiful thing. This picture is great. And there is a, um, a photo of her with her pastor and her little change holder in, in her hand. And it's just a, just a really heartwarming story and inspiring should inspire all of us to give to Annie Armstrong. Absolutely. So really, really great story to end on this week. And that'll bring us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. All right. We're going to go back to 1995 because there was a survey. And you know how I love Uh to look at surveys. surveys. Yes. So for somebody who doesn't love math, you sure do love a survey. Well, I here's the thing. Surveys, I don't understand how they are calculated. I don't follow all that, but I love what they tell us. So I'll let someone else run the stats, and then I'll look at what what the results are. So this was a survey of 1,350 Southern Baptists, and it's about uh, it's about baptism, really, and about how baptisms are handled. So it said that for every person baptized due to a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ, Another person is baptized after making a rededication. That was the the finding to say that some people, it, which this happens a lot, and actually this is kind of, in a sense, part of my story, which is a little bit different, but where you'll have someone that maybe was baptized as a child, and then they will come forward and say they, um, they maybe feel like they didn't fully understand or whatever, and they're they're baptized. I've seen that happen before. And so they did a survey, and what they, uh, what they did, this was by the Home Mission Board at the time, and what they really felt like it indicated was the need for more counseling on the front end, those seeking baptism, and supported the need for a diversity of evangelism approaches. So here was what, what it was. They were asked to cite one of several reasons for their recent baptism. 40.5% said conversion. 40.4% said rededication. 13.7% said transfer of membership from another denomination, which I've got questions about that, but I don't guess I can, can ask, uh, anybody now because it was, you know, what, 25 years ago, 26 years ago. So they said that if the survey results represent the 150,000 adults that were baptized in 1993, then only 60,000 baptisms represented like conversions of the lost, like kind of the, the first time it said that there were people saying they were being baptized for rededicating their lives to Christ. And the staff, the evangelism staff at the mission board, the home mission board said, we're not carefully counseling those who indicate an interest in becoming Christians, we need to be more careful that every step toward Christ is understood and that new converts are beca- are discipled into becoming committed followers of Christ. They also asked recent converts, other than the Holy Spirit, what was the one single most important influence that led you to accept Christ? Nearly 34% of those that were questioned said it was another person. They also, uh, 31%, also said, they said things like the desire to go to heaven or have a positive influence on their children. 13% said life crisis. 
11.6% said church-related activities such as preaching and Sunday school. Now, I think that's very telling. And other surveys since then in recent years, surveys that um, Outreach Magazine and other people have done, show something like that. That it's not, you know, we have, we sort of think, well, if we invite someone to church and then they hear the sermon, that's enough. But a lot of times it actually is the active connection with another person in someone's life. You can't just leave it to sort of the one thing as, as crucial as the proclamation of the word are. Um, attending church worship services though were a major influence by 76.9%. Um, And there were some other common influences like reading the Bible on your own, someone personally sharing the plan of salvation, uh, things like that. They said no single approach or program alone reaches all non-believers. A comprehensive strategy using varied approaches is required for maximum effectiveness. So I think some of this would match up with what we even see today, which tells you something that um, things don't really change. I mean, at the end of the day, there are souls that are out there in need of salvation and we are to go, you know, the harvest is, um, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few and we need to go, to go out. There was a last one that talked about people's being surveyed about why they chose the church that they joined. More than half said it was because it was a warm, friendly congregation. And then other factors were the influence of family and friends. Influence of the pastor was like 39.9%. So it was 52.7 saying it was a friendly congregation, 44.5 family and friends. Influence of the pastor, 39.9. So it tells, it just tells us a lot. And in some ways it tells us that a lot of things haven't changed I would be curious, though, the stuff at the top talking about baptisms, especially as we already covered, you know, the the uh, situation going on at Long Hollow and they just crossed a thousand. I mean, we have some real revivals going on, uh, even in the midst of this difficult year. I'd love to know what has possibly changed or developed in evangelism, discipleship, counseling, things like that, uh, if we would see a similar answer uh, on that, the rededication, you know, conversion issue. I'm not really sure. That's the one that I think might be a little bit different now. Um, But anyway, so these are questions that we are always asking. I have heard a number of people ask these things. I've seen a lot of surveys, but, you know, 26 years ago, they were asking these questions too and got some answers this week in SBC history. All right. Well, that's neat. So it would be fascinating to see kind of what's changed over the years over that. Yeah. Yeah, so right. I'll put the link in the show notes for that. So. Yeah, all right, cool. And that's only, what, 25 years ago? So 26, 26. 26. It was in 95, yeah. yeah. I was rounding, you know. Yeah, close Ish. enough. Ish. Okay, cool. All right, well, that brings us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resources of the week is? New resource from the Rabbit Room. You know, I'm a big Rabbit Room fan. And uh, there's a book that they put out a couple of years ago called Every Moment Holy. That's very oh, popular yes. with a lot of people. Yeah. And I know it's where you're es- going with this. It's essentially like every day. It's, it's a book of liturgies, which I know mm-hmm. we're, we're not, you know, li- we're not necessarily liturgical bunch, but they're kind of everyday liturgies. It's a thing about like re- readings essentially that were written for in the moment of, uh, coming together for a family meal or in the moment of, you know, something happening in your life or even in sort of the moments while you're making the morning coffee or where you're facing the day. And they're really beautifully written. A guy named Douglas McKelvey um, did. And I, I have that book. I love it. And I have 
one that's uh, kind of for the beginning of the day that's on my wall, a print. So there's a second volume and yeah. mine is on the a way. Sequel. It's not, a sequel. It's not here yet. And it's uh, Every Moment Holy Volume 2, Death, Grief, and Hope. So it's essentially designed for people who are suffering. I mean, there's one on liturgy for the loss of a spouse or for the wake of a national tragedy. So it's over a hundred. There the some great illustrations, really beautiful thing and things you can do uh, for personal reflection or if you want to read it together as a family. Uh, really, really great. And so mine is on the way. I'm really looking forward to it. And we'll just kind of check it out. And obviously, you don't use everything that's in there, but you get a sense of, of what it is, and you can go back to it when times are tough. Uh, so that's mine. Yes. Highly recommend. The Everyday Holy, the volume one, I don't have it. And it's one that I, when I, somebody says something about it, and Andrew Peterson brought it up the other day, whenever um, he had the the Easter Monday concert that I watched, right. you and I watched on online. We talked about it here on the podcast. Um and I was like, man, I need to get that book. And I just, oh, it's so I, good. I just haven't done it. I need to do that. I will do that. Yeah. Right. I will get it. it. It really is great. So yeah, well, that's cool. Um, and yeah, I, I've heard nothing but good things about it, honestly. So, all right. Uh, my resource of the week is also a new book and it's from Rebecca McLaughlin and it is called The Secular Creed. So I, I think a lot of people probably may have seen these, these, it, I've seen it mostly on yard signs. I don't know about you, Amy, but the secular creed that I've seen on yard signs. It's like the uh, the rainbow flag, and it says, "In this house, we believe that Black Lives Matter, love is love, gay rights are civil oh, rights, oh yeah, women's yeah. rights are human rights, and transgender women are women." Yes. Uh, so there's this secular creed that Rebecca McLaughlin has written a book about, kind of to combat the five creeds that are in that. So it's to to really discuss and unpack what they mean and how we as Christians can engage with those who may you know live by this secular creed or a spouse to some of those beliefs. So very helpful. Rebecca McLaughlin is a fantastic writer. Uh, if you haven't read her stuff, you need to. Uh, she had one of the book of the years a, a year or so ago. Um, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but she's a phenomenal writer and I'd highly recommend everything that she writes and especially this new book, The Secular Creed. So I've got that one ordered. I am looking forward to it as well because, you know, it really helps us engage those around us, you know, those who are, are near to us, but far from God. Uh, as my pastor often puts it. So um, something that, that he has challenged us to do more. And uh, I think this this only helps us because it, it unpacks a lot of those secular beliefs that we may encounter out you know, with our neighbors, with those in the ball fields or at the pool this summer, whatever it may be, and be able to engage them in a, a gospel conversation. So I think it's very helpful. You should check it out. All right. All right, Amy, we made a huge mistake last week. Huge, enormous mistake. We did. We got called on it. We got called out on it. Patrick Watts, a couple others, called us out. Yes. Forgot to congratulate the Baylor Bears on their yeah, men's basketball national championship. Their first men's championship. Not their first championship because the women have won three. Right. Yes. But yes. the first time the men have, have kind of accomplished what the women have already done three times. We didn't. We recorded at the end of the week. It had happened on Monday. I we watched had a lot the going, game. People. I watched the game. I was very excited for Baylor. I don't. I don't make the script, folks. I just. Come, I oh, throw in my oh, history moment. I, I throw in my is. resource. I throw in wow. my resource. I don't put the news. I don't put the news items together. That so, sound in the background, you folks just heard, was her backing the bus up over me. Again. Well, you know what can I say? Yeah, 
Thanks. Congrats to the Baylor Bears. It was very exciting. That was a great, a great night. And nice to have March Madness back again. I missed it last year. Yeah, and the George Schroeder who works with us, his son is a student at Baylor. Right. And has living he's living his best life now, by the way. Because I mean, you go to a college and they win the national championship in their first year there. I mean, like what what's not to love? That's fantastic. Yeah, George you know. kept sending us pictures that he was getting, you know, of the students on the football field watching the game and how much fun they were having. And it, it was it was really, really neat. So now it was the worst year of my life. I've been doing brackets. Yeah, how'd that bracket since, do? Not well. To tell, tell everybody where you finished in the uh, the office bracket. At, at the very end. I finished in last at place. The bottom. The so, cellar dweller. I've Amy been Whitfield. doing brackets since I was in middle school. I would cut them out of the newspaper and do them with a pen and put it on my bulletin board. And and I, I love to do this. And I would do it with my dad and everything. And then, of course, once it, you know, you could do it online. Great. But I often do quite well. But I just picked the wrong upsets this year. And it 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 was not my year. So nope. congrats to Baylor. I wish I had picked you. Yeah, yeah, it would have helped you because the one who did win it, Chris Chapman, picked Baylor. Yes, he so, did. Got and our he's, team a Baylor, he's a Baylor by the way. grad. He's a yeah, Baylor he picked grad. Baylor. So he was able to to lead with his heart and his head. That's right. And he yes. came out on top. How about that? Yes. Very well done. So, yeah, so. yeah. So he won our team breakfast. That was the uh, the, the prize for winning this year is that, that whoever's team that the winner was on got breakfast. And uh, we had some breakfast here at the office. So that was kind of Very cool. nice. Very nice. Holler and dash. So if I had actually been there, I could have, as the loser, gotten special breakfast because yeah. my teammate well, was the winner. You're still but... winners in our hearts, Amy. Thank you. Thank you yeah. very much. But you're dead last in the bracket. Yeah, I was dead last. All right. Well, we have rectified that mistake from last week. And I, I should have brought it up just so I could tell you, remind you where you finished. I was like right in the middle of the pack. I finished like ninth. So I had like 24 or whatever it was. So. Not my best year ever, but I wasn't last. Thank so. you. Thank you. All right. Yes. So we're, we're done with that now. Fix yes, the mistake. done. Like your bracket. All right. Um, All right. So next <laughs> next week, I would assume we're kind of moving into that phase where we're going to have annual meeting information every week because we're now at the spot where just little updates happen yeah. all the time. Yeah. So We've got the Committee on Nominations report coming soon, I believe. Uh, I mean, it's we're getting about to that time. Those yeah, sixty order, day order mark, forty five day marks. The the order yeah, of business, order which business we have the schedule. Soon. We'll have uh, tellers, parliamentarians, registration the, committee, all registration kinds committee. Of, uh, yeah, all, all kinds everybody. of people. So we've got a lot coming. We'll have all that information for you here on the podcast. That'll start rolling out as we get ready for Nashville, Amy, Nashville, downtown Nashville. And we're going to be doing some new videos for Road to Nashville. Uh, yeah. I'll actually be in town Got a few next that we week. We have to yeah. have to fix. You know what I mean? I'll be in. I'll be in town next week, so we'll do some last minute scrambles on places to eat downtown and things to do. Uh, but we'll we'll enjoy that special convention preview episode because we can tell you a lot of things about our city, um, your city where you live all the time, my city where I grew up, and. Uh, and giving it kind of a downtown perspective will be a lot of fun. So. Yes, a lot of fun things to do in downtown. So it's going to be awesome. Can't wait. I know everybody is uh, excited about the, the move down to downtown, just to, just the energy that the city has. It's going to be great. So we hope to see you there, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.